Evening, everybody. Um, welcome to another instalment of the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge. You can probably tell from my voice I'm a little battle-hardened and battle-weary from last night. So please bear with me. Um, it's no doubt going to be a, um, an interesting evening as I try to keep things going. Um, very, very, very busy episode. But before we do, as usual, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, please be sure the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge is an independent Swindon Town fan uh, Twitter space. Uh, it no way reflects the views of Swindon Town Football Club or indeed that of Sir Tom Broadbent himself. Um, over the course of the show, guys, as I say, packed agenda um, this time around. Um, sad news, uh, passing another ex-Swindon Town player in the last week. Um, we have, uh, on a slightly brighter note, come off the back of an absolute thumping of Carlisle and an absolute demolishing of Warsaw at home. Um, we're going to be spending a fair chunk of the show talking to the legend uh, that is Vic Morgan. Um, and then we've got a little bit of any other business towards the end of the show that we will run through, including uh, another episode of the Lowe's Strangers podcast. Um, and we will also be talking about the club's first silverware of the year. Uh, we have a um, very interesting bit of signposting for you in relation to something Dan Designs is doing um, in association with the Community Trust and also with Harry McCurdy himself. Um, we have a, uh, an event coming up in April, which we touched on on the last show, a little bit more detail on that in relation to a night with Phil King. Um, and we've got some birthday wishes for an extra special member of the Swindon Town family. But without further ado, how are you, Tyler? Oh, I'm not too bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, it sounds like your voice is holding up just a little bit better than mine. Is that a fair assumption? Uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm all good, but I just go to bed, mate. But... Like that, that's the uh, age factor. Where yeah, I, I was gonna, yeah, the benefit of youth, mate. The benefit of youth. Well, no doubt Vic's going to put us both to shame because Vic's just a little bit older than me, but I'll bet you he's going to be smoother than a cashmere cod piece throughout the show. Um, how are you, Vic Morgan? I'm very well. I uh, Well, my voice is a little bit better than yours, but it's still a little <laughs> bit hoarse from uh, three or four days of uh, travelling up and down the M5, M4, M6 goodness knows where else and of course uh, that incredible victory last night which we're all still basking in the glory of I think. Oh we just Vic you are battle hardened over decades of broadcasting professionalism and excellence and um, and, you know I knew I had to show tonight I, I, I knew I had to try and control myself but as I mentioned to somebody last night that really was something to be cherished wasn't it so I'm just going to be honest I let my I let myself go and boy did I let myself go um We'll come on to that, Vic. We will come on to that. But I thought we'd um, we'd, we'd get the sad news with, with whilst paying it all due respect. We get the sad news out of the way. Um, in the obviously four days ago, um, we learned of the um, passing of fair to say Swindon Town nemesis uh, in uh, Joey Beecham. Um, the news was was uh, it, it was certainly received in my household with a a, a certain amount of disbelief. Um, I, I, I don't wish to be um, clearly. There's been a lot of speculation in relation to how um, Joey's Joey's departed, but um, I don't really feel it's the most respectful thing to do to go into that. But it does throw up some interesting questions in relation to um, Swindon Town Football Club and um, our fans' reaction to that news. Um, delighted to say 
um, it was um, largely respectful, um, very, very positive um, in relation to the support of Joey and his family in terms of what I could hear last night. Um, Vic, I'll, st I'll start with you purely only because um, given, given Tyler, we've already talked about the age factor, given Tyler's uh, tender years, um, I'm sure you, you sort of ran into or you came across that news and, and sort of received it the same level of shock that I did. But um, what's what, what I mean, again, your reflections on that, Vic, but also your reflections on Joey as a player, because clearly I, I have my own, um, both positive and um, uh, obviously the negative side in terms of him sort of pulling the yellow back on again. What, what, what was your reaction to hearing that news? Oh, it was shocking. We were on the way back from Carlisle and it came through as we were travelling back and we were reflecting on it, of course. And I think the fact remains that he's our record signing and, and he's likely to forever remain so because 800, £850,000, we're not going to spend that sort of money again, are we? No. So he will be forever our record signing. And the fact of the matter is you put football rivalries to one side and he was a player, I think, who had his troubles during his playing career with West Ham. He joined us and then went back to his hometown club and, you know... You, you just feel for his family at this time because in all these instances many more questions and answers are cropped up and you know it's just a devastating time and and we wish him and all his uh, family and indeed a lot of the fans of the yellow people you know all the best because it's uh it's a grim time for them and you know nobody wants to to have that and we wish them well yeah, I mean, I, clearly, I, I would echo that. I mean, Tyler, just before I come on, you know, to you and, and, and your thoughts, because you're, I'm guessing your frame of reference on Joey Beecham will be um, sort of largely based on sort of like the, you know, the whispers of history in many ways. But um, I think the, um, the the sort of perspective that just immediately struck me, and obviously the, you could see from the, the level of fallout from, you know, the, the sort of the reaction from the Oxford United support, I mean, it, it really would be like, I mean, arguably their, their greatest player. I mean, the 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 level of um, sort of sympathy that was pouring out of those that wear the yellow um, was, you know, exactly as you would expect it would be in terms of level of respect, anyone leaving this world. But um, certainly when they were discussing him from a football point of view, all the superlatives that came out, you know, um, video clips of goals being scored, quite extraordinary goals being scored. But um, Tyler, I just wanted to sort of touch on on sort of you know I say your view, your your perspective on it because as I say I'm I, I'm I'm guessing a, a lot of a lot a lot of your kind of view of Beecham apart from obviously having done your sort of you know your history lesson on it would have been based on the sort of the you know the folklore of that move because clearly you you weren't around at the time that you know he joined us from from Oxford um, and you. Obviously, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have experienced the move to West Ham, but what what did what did the news mean to you, Tyler, when it broke? Uh, it definitely didn't mean as much to me as it would people who got to see him play and all of the history behind it. But the same goes with anyone sort of passing away. It's sad news, no matter how you look at it. So obviously, I agree with what you say. Obviously, with um, wishing his family best wishes and Oxford fans, obviously, all the best because it's never nice to see anyone pass away. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we've, um, you know, we, we've had a we've had a terrible sort of time, Vic, haven't we, really, over the last 12 months? Um, clearly, the you know, I remember being sort of absolutely gobsmacked at the news that we'd lost Alan McLaughlin. Um, I was um, shocked and, and stunned at the news that we'd lost um, Steve Finney as well very recently, and, of course, Jamie Vincent. 
Um, yeah, as, as you say, Solar. I mean, I um, I, I think it's only right that we we, we treat that with the, with the level of respect it's due. Um, the one the one thing that I was going to kind of post to both of you gentlemen really is there's um, there's a, a a charm that's been going around, and you'll know the charm I'm talking about in relation to Joey himself. And my my <coughs> personal take on that. I mean, I was I was I, I was appalled that I heard that charm in a very very isolated pocket last night. Um, and I was pleased that, you know, that didn't get picked up on at all. But my, my you know, at, at what point, gentlemen, would you say is, to, you know, surely that chant has got to be retired just for the sake of sort of common decency. Um, football rivalries, yes, I get that. There's a place for it. And it, this will be, for some, a really controversial debate. But um, my my view, and I'm steadfast in it, that I'll, I'll be delighted if I never heard those words uttered in the county ground ever again, given the circumstances Um Vic, I'll put that to you first. How would you feel? I, 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 derogatory chance to come to anybody. I, I, I just, I don't see the need of it, basically, and, and I never have. And you know, to me, you chant to support your team. That, that's basically the bottom line. And um, you know, I, you, you mentioned um, the players that we lost. I'd also mentioned Frank Burrows and Stevie Peplow in there. We've had, you know, quite a few in the last, uh, a few last twelve months. And you know, I. I and it really is a, a sad moment for anybody. And I think, you know, if you if you continue to use derogatory chants, then you really shouldn't. It's that simple. Uh, just forget it, move on, yeah. and uh, let's get back to supporting the one thing we all support, and that's our football team. Yeah, spot on. And I'm, I'm sure, Tyler, you're, you're of a similar view, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think, obviously, with everything that's gone on, it, it's only right that that one doesn't get sang again. Yeah, well, we'll. I mean, like I say, it's a shame that we have to sort of start the show on on a on such a sad note. But I thought it's only right and proper that um, you know, as Vic said, it, you know, I, I don't believe that that fee is going to be surpassed anytime soon. I think it's only right and proper that we we started off with that. But moving on to slightly brighter news, gentlemen, and this was the part where I tweeted earlier in the week. I almost want to put my feet up and just enjoy myself listening to you good folks speak. Carlisle away, gentlemen. <laughs> 3-0. Talk me through it. Talk me through it. I don't care who goes first, but I was delighted that you dropped me a line and said that you managed to spend a bit of time with Tyler up at the game. So, um, to, I mean, to, uh, I guess, Tyler, if we start with you, you, um, you had an interesting journey up there, didn't you? Um, take, take me from the top. Well, woke up bright and early, uh, got on the coach, ended up having to stop to pick some man up. I don't know who that is, but... Um, <laughs> Ended up, to be fair, we got up there about 12-ish, which I thought was pretty good going. Um, and then went to the pub, got to the game, and we all know what happened at the game. Oh, don't we just, Vic? And, and, and again, Vic, were you, um, how, how was your uh, how was your journey up? Was it, I mean, it's that's a long old way to keep yourself entertained, isn't it? I mean, a, a hardy a sort of travelling Swindon Sound soul that you are. Um, you, you don't get many further than that, do you, from your base down in Devon? So um, <laughs> you, you clearly got there and back in one piece. But um, once once you got up there, what kind of welcome did you get from the locals, Vic? Is it a um, I've, having never been to Brunton Park? Is it a friendly place to visit? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's really nice. I mean, we left at quarter to five in the morning and met up with a coach containing <coughs> a young co-host of yours, uh, uh, as we always <laughs> do at the Air Balloon, uh, and. Um, 
yeah, long old journey up, spectacular journey. When you go past Lancaster and you go through the Lake District and the mountains and the hills and the fells and, you know, this beautiful scenery was enhanced by the snow that we had as we went through there. It was an extraordinary journey up. But once you get there, the sun's out. It's like the middle of summer. It really was quite a contrast. And they are extraordinarily friendly. I, you know, every time you go to Carlisle, they're the same. And there's a pub across the road that we go to, only too happy to accommodate Swindon fans. They put a table together. There's about nine of us who had sat down and had something to eat. You go to the club, the stewards are always friendly. Yeah, really nice place to go. And even better when you come away with a 3-0 victory. I've been there on a Tuesday night when there was a 3-0 defeat. It's slightly different on that occasion. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, left at 7 o'clock one morning, got back at 7 o'clock the following morning. So, you know, that's a, it is a, a fair old trek. But, you know, when you come away with three points, getting back just after midnight, despite an M5 road closure, the bane of my life, I could go on for two hours about that if you want me to. Um, you know, you, you go through Bristol again, Filton, blah, 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 off we go. But no, great experience and uh, a 3-0 win, the second in a row, which I think is the first since 19, uh, 2010 that we've done that, yeah. Leeds and Tramere, uh, and extraordinary. And, we, and one point last night, we thought, well, when was the last time we had three 3-0 wins in a row? But, <laughs> but that didn't happen. So, uh, yeah, a, a lovely day, it, despite the fact that you know, for three days later, you're still exhausted. But, yeah, good people in Carlisle. Nice place to go. So quite a contrast, however, to the certain antics of um, Swindon Town's favourite shithouse, Harry McCurdy, gentlemen. So you've got this lovely welcome. And um, we kind of bought a, uh, what they would probably refer to as an unwelcome guest for the day. And boy, did he deliver. Um, slamming one home on uh, 17 minutes and then providing the assists on 55 and 57 for Messrs, Davison and Barry accordingly. Um, Tyler, talk, talk me through. You, you've already sort of uh, got into, um, you, you've sort of gone, got into a little bit of depth with Rich Pullen and the guys on the low stranger in relation to um, how Harry conducted himself on the day. But I guess I just wanted to sort of like reflect on, on his return, really. The thing that just didn't strike, I mean, that Dan Hunt's point I thought was, was very, very valid about know your enemy because I, I must have tweeted about two three minutes into the game saying literally like you are just giving the you are giving his fire the oxygen it needs to burn um and he's gonna absolutely haunt you today but even i wasn't expecting it to be quite as spectacular it was a pretty pretty decent show tyler wasn't it from the boy mccurdy it, it was pro i'd even probably go as far as saying it's his best performance in a town shirt um he, he was everywhere, and it's exactly what he said about Dan. Know your enemy. You're booing McCurdy, you're, you're giving him stick. That, that's that's everything he needs to sort of thrive. And as soon as he, he heard those first boos, I think he realised he, he was right up for it. And, I mean, that finish for the first goal, he, he's nearly taken the net the net off. So, yeah. can't fault him. Yeah, I'll tell I, I'll tell you what really struck me, Tyler, and Vic, I was going to put this to you, really. I've, I've over the last sort of, um, particularly the last 10 years, just become really, really sick of ex-players coming back to Hornswindon Town. And I use that wonderful, that wonderful um, I don't know if it's an Anglo-Saxon term, shit house that gets bounded around quite a bit these days. But um, he, I've been saying for goodness knows how long now that we need somebody like that in a Swindon Town shirt that will quite happily go back and haunt his ex-clubs in that kind of fashion. Um, I think um, the, the, 
the player that just absolutely infuriated me, particularly over the last five years, has been a certain Mr. Alex Ravel. Um, but even he didn't quite, whilst he was putting the ball in the back of the net, some of his antics when he was um, interacting with the supporters, should we say, as Harry did on Saturday, were, were nowhere near in the same class. Um, what's your? Can you think, Vic, of anyone that we've had in the McCurdy mould over the years that, that, that sort of um, played that card quite the way Harry did on Saturday? No, absolutely not. I mean, the, the thing I'd say about Harry McCurdy is do not abuse him in any way, shape or form because it makes him play twice as good as he would have done normally. And, you know, he loved it. I mean, he he does. He, he, he thrives on that situation. And, you know, he's a sort of player. You, you could say whatever you want to him and it just makes him better. And it, it, the bit at the end when he was doing the Decanio, you're we're going up, you're staying down kind of thing was was <laughs> wonderful. I mean, I, you just took you back to the to those days when the Canio used to march out to the middle of the pitch and do that. And he loves it. Yeah. And I think the thing is with Harry McCurdy, we should we should cherish every moment we've got of him because he is a one off. And Tyler and I were discussing this at half time and you know, I, I don't care what he does. <laughs> you know, away from the pitch. As long as it's legal and decent, that's fine, you know. But I, I just think on the pitch, he's an absolute joy. And he is the one player at the counter ground that you immediately think, as soon as he gets the ball, something is going to happen. And I, I, it was his performance on Saturday was breathtaking. And, and the moment he slammed that ball into the back of the net, he didn't come to the Swindon fans. He went to the Carlisle fans. Of course he did. Yeah. And... You know, there's that old thing yeah. now where a player at your former club, you don't celebrate against your former club, do you? Well, Harry did, and we loved him for it. As simple <laughs> as that, really. Yeah, it's absolutely... I, so the interesting thing, I mean, I, you know, I've, what's not been said about Harry, but the thing that really occurred to me sort of following on from Saturday was, um, I think I, I turned to my son and said, you know, listen, if, if, you know, if all the stars align, you know, Harry could be a, you know, our next million pound footballer in terms of selling him off a value. And, and my son sort of stopped me and said, and it was a really interesting point, actually. He was like, yeah, but dad, if you were a manager, would you take a chance on Harry McCurdy? Because whilst he, he will deliver exactly what you said, Vic, on the pitch, I think we've, we've seen that Ben Garner's got the magic formula for managing him. I think there are a lot of managers that, and I, I wonder whether this is what's held him back in, in with his previous clubs that are just intimidated and actually probably don't want to expend what they see as the energy on him. Now, I like to look at it another way. I like to look at it as in, is this just that Ben Garner's got into his head and sort of, you know, sort of expressed to him, look, Harry, it's time to grow up. It's time to really make something for your career or it's going to pass you by and Harry's then kicking on. But every now and again, I see his antics cropping up, particularly on Instagram. And I think, no, do you know what? I think my son's right. I think it, it's just the right player, right club. Um, and I think you'd be a very brave manager to take him on in the same way that managers have tried and failed in the past to get the best out of the likes of Hatem Ben Arfa and Abtel Zarabd. You know, these guys are supremely gifted, mercurial geniuses. And you've just got to love what they bring to the piece and you've got to try and nurture it and you just know that you're going to have your work cut out. I mean, Tyler, would you say that's a fair assumption or do you think I'm being hard? I think it's a mix of the two. Because um, I think, yeah, like it, it is a risk to take him on, but I do think at the same time, Garner's definitely got in his head and he hasn't matured a bit since he's come in. He, he's still a, a bit childish, but that, that's why we all love him. Um yeah, and no one's going to complain at that because, like I say, it's it's who he is, and it is very very funny. But 
I do think he's maturing a bit, which a million pound signing, maybe not, but I do think if, if the stars align, we could flip him for a decent bit of money in the future. And as long as it's an amicable departure, I don't think he'd come back and do what he does to Carlisle fans to us. Yeah, fair one. Listen, from my point of view, just to you know, to ensure that everyone understands that I am, I am absolutely a Harry McCurdy fan. I think part of my um, part of my take on this is clearly I just want to put as many managers off of signing him as I possibly can because I just, as I think I tweeted earlier in the week, he's all ours and let's keep him that way. Um, I mean, for me, for me, guys, having sort of um, uh, rewatched the game uh, a few hours afterwards. The other elements of the match that really impressed me on Saturday, I thought uh, Josh Davis, uh, Davison's movement was absolutely incredible. And you just could not take your eyes off of Louis Reed and his continued influence sat in front of the um, the back four. I thought um, Reed and Ellis Iandolo were, were absolutely fantastic in the centre of midfield. I thought the emerging Ricky Aguiar, and we'll come on to him again when we start talking about last night, but I thought he's very neat and tidy, very accomplished. Um and I came away from the game thinking, now, all right, okay, we put we put Scunny away, we put Carlisle away. Um, is this potentially the return of Sexy Garnable, which then leads us quite nicely onto um, what we saw last night? And and there's a reason I've, I'm struggling with my voice, gentlemen. As I said to you, last night was one of those nights where, by, by God, if you don't just let go and enjoy a night like last night and, and cherish every second of it and make the most of it, You'd only be looking back with regrets. Um, what I mean, Vic, how were you feeling before the game last night? Were you um, because I, I'm going to be honest with you, as I, I brought my merry band up from London with me. There were um, there were four of us in the car, sorry, five of us in the car, and I quite gleefully said we're going to win this four nil. Um, and I said that we're going to have a Louis Barry hat trick, and Ricky, Ricky Aguiar is going to be on the score sheet. As God is my witness. Now. Um, I'll be honest, that there was a part of me that was thinking, well, maybe I've gone a little bit gung-ho on that, but we all know what's happened. But how were you feeling, Vic, before the game? Were you as um, as optimistic as I was? Well, to be fair, I, I was still recovering from the night before because I've done that thing on the Legends Lounge with four absolute legends, Mays, Roland, Kenny Stroud and Jimmy Allen, and didn't get back to Dev until one o'clock and sort of <laughs> got to bed at two o'clock. So yesterday was a bit of a blur. So then, because the only reason I came back was because I gave Jimmy Allen a lift back to Devon because he lives in North Devon. Anyway, that, <laughs> so uh, then uh, then the journey took place again yesterday, which, um, you know, was a bit of a blur, quite frankly. And I, I would have settled for 2-0 because Walsall are in decent form, you know, really decent yep. form. And I think it's fair to say, I don't know about anybody else, but for the first 20 minutes, I thought, here, we're going to get a bit of a spanking here if we don't watch it because... They really did put us under pressure. Jojo Wallacott, if you remember, made a, a pretty spectacular save early on. And, yep. you, you know, you were thinking this isn't going to be as easy as we think. It was a typical Mike Flynn performance, wasn't it? They had a big lot of players there and yep. we were struggling. Um, and then all of a sudden it changes. And, well, we all know what happened. One of the most breathtaking nights at the county ground we've had for a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, absolutely spectacular evenings entertainment. But yeah, like you, Vic, I was um, really holding on to my seat for the first 20 minutes. Um, as I say, Jojo plucked that one out of the top left-hand corner, pushed it away. They had us on the, they had us on the rack. Um, we just didn't seem to be kind of finding that sort of urgency on the ball. Our, 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 our sort of forward progression wasn't particularly spectacular. We weren't getting the ball into many sort of dangerous positions. 
Um, and yeah, like you, Vic, I was thinking, oh my God, like, you know, this is all going to go horribly wrong. Tyler, you're, um, were, you, were you feeling a little more steely in that in, during the opening exchanges? Did you think it was a matter of time or were you fearing the worst? Oh, I'm, I'm always confident until, until we actually concede. Um, so I thought first 20, as much as they were causing problems, none of them were shots where you thought that's definitely in or it's it's like a guaranteed great chance for them to score. They were all sort of half chances, sort of long shots where you'd think, all right, Jojo's in good form. He's, he's got this dealt with quite easily. Um, mm-hmm. And then Cooper has blocked a cross and somehow near enough stopped the ball dead. Played his way out, and one one counter attack changes the whole game. And I haven't seen a finish like that from Louis Barry or any player at the counter ground for a long, long time. Yeah, it was absolute top, top, top class. I think. Um, I mean, there's some interesting comments around me um, when the first goal went in because it went from the usual come on, you know, stop fanning around Villa back town, forward town, and all the usual stuff that you know that we've been hearing at home this season. So then suddenly. What, what um, I'll use that lazy football cliche, a rapier thrust, flying up the other end of the pitch. And as you say, like the one of the most explosive finishes I've seen from a player in a Swindon Town shirt for many a year, um, practically took the top right hand corner net off. Um, really impressive stuff. I thought, um, at that stage, I still felt it was kind of even Stevens taking it in towards sort of a half time break. And as I eased off to the corner of the ground to go and uh, take my half-time nicotine. Um, I was um, standing in a corner watching with interest and got the most delightful view of uh, Mr Aguiar's uh, first goal in professional football. Um, Tyler, at that point, you would have had a much better view than me. Um, pretty special build-up, pretty special finish, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you can go back to the first goal for it as well. Josh Davison needs a lot of credit last night. He was yep. exceptional, even though he didn't score. Um but yeah, that, that finish from, from Ricky, uh, I've been a big fan of him for a long time since we signed him and that that, that was as bottom corner as you were getting. I, I don't think many keepers had a chance saving that and the set from Davison to set him up for it is, it's perfect weight, perfect timing, like, it's just what you want a big number nine to be doing. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with perfect. that. I mean, I, I, I would think there are very few occasions when a centre forward gets a standing ovation coming off without having scored a goal. And Tyler makes that very good point. Uh, you know, to me, and having seen his performance at Colchester where he had a couple of chances, could have scored, looked, you know, match rusty, let's be fair. He's grown. The last two games, he's become an absolute bull up there. And, you know, he's one of these players, I would think as a defender, you, you hate playing against because he's strong and he holds the ball up. He can head the ball. But he, he's not just a bull of a centre forward. He can play too. And, you know, and, and in Aguiar, we got somebody last night who came of age, didn't he? He really came of age. And, you know, you talk about the first goal he got. What about the second one? That that was... Yeah. I mean, you could have had... Let's be honest, you could have had five goals of the season last night, couldn't you? And they were all good in their way. And that, that, that second one for Ricky Aguiar was just poetry in motion. I've watched it so many times today. The way he slammed it into the corner after that beautiful build-up down the left-hand side. Fabulous stuff. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. I mean, the um, the, the sort of slight drag back and back heel from, from Louis Barry is truly premiership class. Um, 
wonderful, um, wonderful uh, break forward from Joe Tomlinson. Lovely ball into the box, causes complete pandemonium. But for me, it was that it was this lovely sort of deft finish, it, almost like he kind of cut across the ball and sort of sliced it. But it was quite clearly deliberate. There was nothing fluky about it. It was the most beautiful finish. Um, I mean, by the time the third, by the time the, the third goal's gone in, um, you, I mean, at that point, I think it was what was interesting was listening to Aguiar post match. He was he was pretty scathing in relation to Warsaw. I mean, he used the words like they just gave up. You know, they just gave up. Thought you know, um, he was he was pretty damning. And you don't really you don't tend to get that level of honesty from. Um, you know, from a fellow pro, so I don't know whether that was a little bit of his kind of non-league route showing, or whether he was just being as as honest and as, as factual as he could possibly be. Because I don't think there was anyone in the ground that would have disagreed with him. Because I mean, you know, there was there was a little bit of huff and puff about Warsaw, but quite frankly, it 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 then turned into one of the most incredible attacking performances I've seen from a Swindon Town team in a very very long time. Um, what's um in terms of um, Aguiar? I mean, obviously. His, his emergence now, Tyler, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to come on to Davison, but his, his emergence, and obviously we, we spoke to Jack Payne after the game, and he was saying he still thinks he's about a week away. Um, we've gone from threadbare to almost like an embarrassment of riches, haven't we? What with Johnny Williams? I mean, appreciate we've lost Ben Gladwin. Johnny Williams back, and not just back, but back with a goal and, and, and looking like his old self, looking like the injury hasn't slowed that, you know, slowed him back, slowed him up or hindered him. Um, I mean, just to echo Vic's points, Tyler, talk about coming of age. Um, I mean, we were we just we were lost on the superlatives, weren't we, at the end of the game? I mean, it was just a a, a very very complete, industrious, crafted central midfield performance. Yeah, it, it was really really impressive at both ends of the pitch from him, really, um, and it does pose a lot of questions now with. Can you drop him? I don't think you can. He's he's the past two games he's been absolutely top class. Even Scunthorpe, he he started a bit shaky when he came on, but he grew into that. And I mean, he's taken to professional football like a duck to water, really. And I think you you've just got to stick with him now until potentially form changes. Because as much as Johnny scored, Ricky scored too. Yeah, and I mean, he was. I mean, also we we had we had a little bit of time with Ricky Aguiar outside the ground as well, Tyler. And I think what really impressed me was that um, he came across as being a very level-headed young guy. You know, for someone that's sort of emerged from you know from the non-leagues, I I, I reflect back on you know my time with four four two, and I was lucky enough to meet uh, Charlie Austin a day or two after we signed him. And I think what really struck me was that um, he, he still. He was quite clearly very, very grateful that he'd had this opportunity uh, to come and join Swindon. But he had this very, very kind of steely determination about him, which was like, don't, he, he almost verbatim, it was like, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not here to make up the numbers, mate. I'm here to get into the side and I'm here to do a job and I'm here to make a difference. Um, I will score goals. And I remember thinking back then, you cocky little sods, you know, but we all know what ended up happening with Charlie Austin. And talking to Ricky last night, there was a little bit of that about him, not necessarily cocky, but there was certainly a kind of um, uh, a certain confidence, and and I would I would use the word hint of arrogance about him. Very very professional, um, clearly a very very good lad, which is in keeping with the kind of personalities that Ben Garner's been looking to bring into the club. Um, 
but there was no as he's you know walking along sort of clutching champagne there was no kind of um sort of almost half embarrassed uh, sort of you know it was almost like a level of expectancy it's like well yeah i'm you know it struck me as yeah i'm someone that can win games i'm, I'm someone that can score goals you know this is my level i should be here um yeah, very, very impressive young man. And we talked to um, Vic, you talked about the kind of almost, I mean, I would describe it as an almost complete performance for a number nine. The only thing that he didn't do, as you said, was hit the back of the net. I think what really struck me about um, about Davison was um, his, his link-up play was pretty extraordinary. And the interesting dilemma he now poses, I mean, again, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Tyree Simpson. <clears throat> but there's a lot of people that are calling for Tyrese's um, return in the summer. Should we get the opportunity to um, pick him up on a freedom of contract basis? Um, now, that would be a very, very dynamic um, setup, having those two number nines, um, whether you're rotating them off the bench or, or I still believe that Tyrese could play off of a number nine himself. So um, the question I was going to ask you, um, Vic, first do you feel that we're a, a better team for Josh Davison in the side versus Tyree Simpson, given that Tyrese has had his detractors whilst he was developing at the rate he was? Um, is is it just that Josh is, is a little further down the line in his professional career um, and therefore we can expect a, a slightly more um, significant impact, shall we say, if that's fair to say for... You know, versus a guy that's already got himself in double figures, and and like I said, just to be clear, I I, I am a firm, firm favourite. But hopefully, if you get my point. No, I do get your point. And um, Tyree Simpson got eleven goals. You know, for a nineteen-year-old who'd not played professional football at that level before, it was a terrific performance. And yes, you know, he was raw. There was a lot to learn for him. Um, and but he, I thought he was terrific in that first half of the season. Although there were a lot of people who were doubtful of him. The one thing I'd say about Davidson, he seems to be the more complete player, and it is probably because he's had longer in the game. And, you know, at the moment, you'd say, well, do you know what? He's got three goals, I think, and uh, he's going to get a few more before the end of the season. But not just his goals, it's the way he sets people up and, and, and he holds defenders up. And, you know, he's strong. I think that's one of the big things with him. So I think I'm very impressed with him in, in the first a few games that I've seen him play. And if he can get a couple more goals in the next few games, well, he'll be flying, won't he? And not many people would be that angry if we managed to secure his services in the summer. I'm not sure how much he would cost. You know, footballers cost ridiculous amounts of money these days, whether Swing can afford to splash out in the transfer market in the summer. Who knows? But, you know, he's the sort of player you look at and you think, yeah, I like him. He's good. And uh, he does a job. And, uh, and looking at that second-half performance last night, is there any player in that team that you take out at the minute? And I, I, no. the answer is no. I, I mean, Louis okay. Barry's second goal was, you know, he got the ball on a halfway line. He still has to go on. There are many players who've gone on one-on-one -on -one and not been able to finish like he finished last night. You know, terrific goal. And, you know, you come away from that purring, don't you? You think, wow, I enjoyed that. It was a long day Monday, long day yesterday, long day Saturday. But you know what? I don't care. What a great performance. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I second that, Vic. I mean, I, I got back to London. Um, I, I live on the London Kent border. I, I got back about half past one, and I've got to be honest, it was one of the most effortless drives back from Swindon I've experienced. I was, I was literally, I floated home. So much going through my head, replaying the goals through my head, and the performances. I, I mean, you know, the conversation in the car was an absolute delight. Heading back, 
Um, Tyler, I, I'll, put, I'll put it to you. I'll put the same the same sort of point, really. Do you, um, <clears throat> as, as a bona fide Tyree Simpson fan, do you think uh, Davidson's made us a better team or do you think it's just coincided with a shift in tactics? Some of that has been forced on the gaffer. Um, or do you think that potentially was this always part of the plan that the second half of the season there'd be a, re- a, a bit of a rejuvenation in January? A few games that potentially could have gone a bit squiffy while that happens, but we will be better off for January because at the moment it looks that way. But what's your take? Um, oh, uh, uh, I think I think Davison is, is probably, I'll agree with Vic, he, he's more complete than Tyrese was. Tyrese is probably stronger than him, definitely quicker than him, but doesn't have the same amount of know-how that Davison seems to have, which like, like that will come with the time in the game. And I have no doubt Tyrese will go on have a good career hopefully part of that's back with us in the long term but uh, yeah no, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced Tyler I'm convinced we're going to see him back in the summer um, I, I, for, for a number of reasons um, which I, I'm not going to bore on with now but I, I just sense that um, I sense that the, the chap started to put some roots down in, in the local area um, and I sense that he, he had such a such a fantastic start to the season Um I think he's he develops a real affection for the club, and I do think if the choice is his, he'll have a good push um, to return in the summer. Now, a couple of interesting sort of points to make off the back of that. One is that um, obviously it it will be an interesting dilemma should we get ourselves promoted as to whether or not Tyrese's development is such that he can have an impact at, at, at League One, which is why it leads me on to the next point about Davison, which is. When we signed him, now where I live, <clears throat> excuse me, where I live is, it's fair to say, heavily populated Crystal Palace, Charlton and Millwall fans and spoke to several Charlton fans about Davison and they, were, um, they weren't particularly flattering in terms of their view of, of Davison and they were basically saying, look, in a Charlton shirt, this, this, they believe he hasn't really got a future there and that actually... Um, it was going to be make or break for his career in a professional game. And that was a fair, that was pretty much the view across the piece. Now, essentially, he's turned up. Vic, you, you nailed it when you described him earlier, so I won't rehash that. But, I mean, he's he's really starting to look the real deal, both in terms of his link-up play and his prowess in between the, in, you know, in front, in front of the goal now. The issue that we're going to have, of course is rewind a couple of seasons, Messrs Doyle, um, Messrs Yates, um, Tyrese himself, of course. He's kind of, he's, he's posing a very, very interesting dilemma for Charlton, isn't he? Because his exploits aren't going to go unnoticed. To your point, Vic, I don't, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting whether or not we're going to be able to, um, you know, afford to pay the kind of money that they'll probably demand for a guy that at the moment looks like he's going to get well into double figures and some. So, it's not necessarily a, a question I'm putting to you guys, more of an observation, really. Um, as I say, to, firstly, well, in fact, I'll put the question to you. Do you think if we go up, uh, you know, Tyrese, I, I can't see Tyrese being a starter, but I do think I can see Josh Davison being a starter. And I think Tyrese off the bench and Tyrese developing would be a frightening prospect alongside him. Um, but do you, I mean, have you either of you two good gentlemen heard any whispers at all that we may have a chance of picking up Davison because like I said the locals to me are saying that without a shadow of doubt but obviously with every goal and assist that's going to look less and less likely unless we're willing to spend six figures so it's an interesting point I guess I'm trying to make 
yeah, sorry, Tyler, go on. You go on. All right, all right. Um, what I was just going to say is he's obviously out of contract in the summer. And do I think, as much as I like Davison so far, he would be good enough to help a team compete at the top end of League One, like Charlton obviously want to do? You could probably say no. So I, I think you'd probably see him released end of this year, no matter how well he does, even if he does manage to hit let's say, 12, 13 goals between now and the end of the season, which would be really impressive. Um, so I think I think he's probably more likely to happen, should we want it to, than Tyrese. Although I don't think Tyrese is going to sign a new deal at Ipswich, so he'll probably be available as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, but we, Vic, correct me if I'm wrong, we, we'd have probably have a fairly hefty development fee to be paid for Tyrese, would we not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the thing is, if you look at it in terms of players at the moment, I, we, we've not had Davidson that long, to be fair, have we? So, uh, given that we had Tyree Simpson for half a season and he did get those 11 goals, l- let's see how it maps out over the next few weeks. But I, I would say after last night's performance, and indeed the way he played at Carlisle, that you have got a more complete centre-forward in, in the way he bullies centre-halves. He really did bully centre-half. Tyree Simpson was learning to do that. Uh, as Matt Haywood said on one of our Monday night panels, he was learning to deal with hairy-ass defenders. But I, I think, yeah. you, you know, uh, Josh Davison sort of kind of already knows how to do that. And he's one of those players, if you are a centre-half, must be a nightmare to play against, you know, because, you know, he's going to hold you off. He is going to get in your face. He is going to cause all problems. So... I'm, I'm, after last night's performance, it'd be very difficult to say you wouldn't want Josh Davison on a permanent basis, wouldn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. Like I said, me personally, in an ideal world, I think we take the two of them. I get a sense that was probably always the plan. I don't believe that, obviously, well, I know we weren't expecting Tyrese to be recalled by Ipswich in the manner that he was. Um, and you do sort of sense that um, Davison was probably, probably being lined up to come and sort of relieve some of the burden and you know, probably helped Tyrese along the way with some of the attributes that you've just talked about, Vic. But, um, yeah, so anyway, like I said, just again, I, I, I hate to use a, um, especially given Tyler's review of me on the Low Strangers podcast, I hate to use a well-oiled football cliche, but um, long may it continue um, in relation to Josh Davison, because providing he can keep himself fit, he's only going to get better and better. Um, because, I mean, I... I, I still maintain, I mean, he didn't have a lot of football at Charlton before he came to us. Um, he still looks like, um, I mean, if that is, I'm, I'm just thinking about just basic sort of, you know, biology. You know, if, that, if that's 80, 90%, goodness me, when he hits 100%, we're going to have a of a player on our hands. Um, let's just hope it's not the kind of circumstance that we found ourselves in with Kane Kessler Hayden, where come the end of the season, it's just a shoe in that, of course, they want him in a, in the red shirt of Charlton as opposed to the red shirt of Swindon. But obviously, moving on, chaps, we've now got the um, we've got the hurdle on Saturday of Salford at the county ground. Um, of course, all three of us are going to say we're bullish. Um, I'll just take a quick prediction from from both of you gentlemen, um, and we'll get into um, we'll, we'll move ourselves along. Um, how, what, are, what are you thinking, Vic? Just how bullish are you? Well, I've got to say, Salford away was one of the most well, one of the best away performances for a long time because it, there was great game management in that game. All right, we, well, it wasn't the best performance in terms of 
how we played, but it was one of the best performances in terms of managing the game at the end when we were hanging on for a 1 0 win. Um, I, oh gosh, it's very difficult because if you were a player last night, you'd be in that dressing room saying, Come on, then, can we play Salford now? You know, it'd be that sort of mood, wouldn't it? And they're mid table, so the expectancy on Saturday will be that we'll roll Salford over. You'll never roll so anybody over just because you've won the previous game 5 0. I, I, I think we'll come out 2 0 winners, and I'd take 2 0 now uh, with great delight. Thanks very much. 2 0 would do nicely. Tyler, what are you thinking? Uh, you, you know, same as every week, 4 0. <laughs> <laughs> That's the boy. That's all I like here. Well, <laughs> I'm just going to stick with my usual. I'm, I'm, I am praying in, the, um, praying in the church of the Seaside Reds, and I'm just going to say 4 1 just for the hell of it. I think. Um, I think you're absolutely right, though, Vic. I think the interesting thing that Salford brings to the table is there is quite clearly you only have to watch the documentaries, um, you know, on on Sky in relation to um, Salford as a club. There's ferocious ambition behind the scenes, and you get the impression at, at some point it's going to click. Um, clearly, it's not it's not clicked so far this season. Just hoping that Saturday's not going to be the day. Um, but, you know, at, at some point, they are going to click. They've got too much money behind them to not click. And they've clearly got um, a lot of a lot of very wealthy um, ex-footballers behind them with a lot of skin in the game because they're all in the local area, they're rooted in the community, and they feel a certain um, determination to make it work. I, do, I, I think, realistically, I think Saturday is... I think that, you know, the league is starting to do its talking. I think those league positions have been earned at this stage, so I think we should be going into it especially off the back of the 3-0, 3-0, 5-0 results. We, we, but it, wouldn't it be the most swindony thing to go into that game and end up getting absolutely hammered? I, 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 I don't even want to tempt fate. I'm, I'm going to stick with my 4-1 uh, and, and we will move on. Um, so, Vic, now it, this, this is, welcome to the Tom, to Tom Broadbent Lounge proper. Vic, Vic Morgan, this is your life. I am... Um, <laughs> I very, Vic, um, <clears throat> you and I have had quite a bit of, of contact via text messages and various conversations uh, sort of over the years, um, and I've never been shy of of sort of telling you just on a personal level what your voice, what the, the role your voice has played in in luring me into um, the wonderful world of Swindon Town from my my little corner over in the over in the southeast of London. Um, I. Um, Funny enough, in, in preparation for this show, I revisited the old GWR 1987 playoffs playoff season tapes, listened to it from start to finish, um, and it just brought so many memories back from, from when I was a real youngster and I first started getting into um, Swindon Town. And ironically, and we'll come on to talk about that night, because it's one of the ones I wanted to spend a fair bit of time talking about, um, that actually was the season that led into me becoming a absolute fully fledged die in the wall swing and sound fan. And and I cannot stress enough Vic, that your those tapes played such a big part in my burgeoning fandom. So in the first first instance, I just wanted to say in front of everybody, thank you for that, Vic. Um did, did, would you have um if you cast your mind back to when you first started covering Swin from commentator, would you ever have thought that you'd be on sort of talking to sort of any Swindon Town fan that would maybe reflect that back at you sort of quite quite further down the line as we are now. No, absolutely not. I'm quite humbled by that. So I, I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, it, they were great times. There's no question. And 
you know, I started out on hospital radio, Swindon, many, many years ago. And, I, and, and I, on Monday night's event at the, at the Legends, I met up with uh, Arthur and with Kenny from hospital radio. And they were the, the, the first two that I commentated with. It was an old GWR Christmas appeal thing that I won, a £10 bid. And you got a chance to commentate on the Swindon Town game for hospital radio. And I just thought, wow, I've got to do that and have a go. And I did, and it led to, well, you know, a, a sort of half-decent career in the radio, not just doing football commentaries, but sports presentation, general presentation, phone-in presentation. And so it's led to a pretty decent life doing something that many people describe as work. But quite frankly, um, <laughs> I see Andrew Hawes is listening. It is work on the most, <laughs> on some evenings. But, you know, most of the time we're doing something that we love. And you know, boy, uh, have I loved it over the years. There's no question. Um, you know, to talk about Swindon Town, why wouldn't you want to do that? You know, and I, and I said to you before that, you know, I'm just a fan who's been lucky enough to be involved in watching Swindon professionally over the years. And now I'm just a fan. When I say just a fan, I'm like anybody else. They go along, watch the game, moan a lot. Uh, and, and like last night, enjoy a lot. So, you know, it's fabulous. I love it. And... It, it, it is my drug, Swindon Town. That and the music of Led Zeppelin. They're, they're my two obsessions in life, I have to say. <laughs> well, well, we'll come on to that, Vic. We'll come on to that because my research led me down a bit of a Led Zeppelin rabbit hole in relation to yourself, for sure. But, I mean, it's interesting, Vic, because I, I don't want to just keep harping on about, you know, those two. So the 86, 87 tapes in particular were like really played a really big part in, in my childhood. But Tyler, um, obviously, the whole media landscape has changed massively now it, it, it must be quite hard for you to sort of consider the importance of a couple of audio cassette tapes to the you know the life of me as a Londoner being drawn into the wonderful world of Swindon Town what Tyler from from your perspective it'd be interesting to sort of get your take on this really when you think about your fandom and I appreciate you live in the area so slightly different because you haven't got some of the geographical challenges but can you think of some of the influences that drew you into supporting Swindon Town? Because, like I said, the media landscape now, the fact that we're sat here now having this conversation tells you everything you might need to know. Because, you know, I mean, I'm talking about days that were, I mean, Vic, you'll remember, you know, fanzines such as the 69er. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're talking about, you know, seasons that predated that. So, I mean, Tyler, again, sorry to, sorry to waffle on, but... That must this must seem like quite a, 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 well a massively foreign conversation for you to listen to. Uh, yeah, because it's very different to obviously what happened for me. For me, it was more just I got dragged along to a Swindon game once. We beat Pompey five 0 and it was like, all right, guess this is it for me then, and just sort of hooked from there. So and away you go now. It, it, exactly. It's quite funny, Vic, because you're, um, Vic, you're, I know that you're obviously as, you're, you're as equally as prolific as myself and Tyler on Twitter. But I mean, Tyler and I were, um, Tyler very kindly introduced me to um, the wonderful Marley um, uh, at Lake Orient Away. And Marley and I have now, um, we've met on a few occasions and had conversations about, um, you know, how his he's, um, wonderful creative mind um, sort of produces the sort of content that he produces. Uh, the reason I reflect on that is my um, my youngest daughter, so she's she's 13 now, and she's just started getting into following town. She's gone from 
not knowing anything about Swindon literally three months ago to now being completely immersed and obsessed with all things Swindon Town. And and it's it's interesting because we we talk about the channels that lure and the and the importance of those, but actual fans, like I said, we're having this conversation, but actual fans creating content. Um, on, a, on a myriad channels and the types of content that fans can create now with a multitude of tools at their fingertips. Um, you know, it's it's content such as that that's playing such a big role in introducing sort of the, the younger members of my family in. I mean, Vic, that must be quite... I mean, from your perspective as somebody that's been in the broadcasting game for as long as you have, that, that also must seem not necessarily foreign because it's not like you're out of touch with that tech, but that must seem like... I mean, if you could rewind, go back 30-odd years and sort of... I mean, that would have... To have that smorgasbord of opportunity to create content, that, that I mean, that would have been manna from heaven for you back then, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it brings with it also extra work, of course, if you're a, a full-time reporter. There are so many other platforms that you have to service, just not just the main one. Say, for instance, you know, in my day, it was the radio. That was it. But now, as you said, you've got Twitter... Uh, you've got, uh, you know, websites to do. You've got all sorts of things, Instagram, um, Facebook, you know, all that sort of thing you'd have to do extra as a reporter these days. But, you know, in my day when I was young, I mean, it, it, <laughs> many years ago, I mean, this is how it was. You got on the supporters bus, say you go to Hartlepool away on a Saturday. Uh, you, you met the bus at six o'clock. You got to the grounds. You met up with a local freelancer who pointed the direction of the telephone that you were using for the, the game. And that was it. You know, that was how life was. You did it on a telephone. And if you did any interviews, you did it on a tape recorder, ran down, got the interview, ran back up to the telephone, held the telephone against the tape recorder and played the interview back. Because in those days, there was no ISDN, high quality broadcast line, that's a telephone line. Everything was done on the telephone. It was that simple. I, I learned a lot from the great Clive King, who I used to sit next to on the supporters bus. Uh, former reporter, of course, of the Evening Advertiser, and uh, an absolute legend. And he he taught me a lot about being a reporter and the pitfalls of it, as well as the upsides of it. And, you know, it was a great learning curve, really, to travel alongside such a man. And and it was a different world. It was a different world. But as you, as you go through, you learn to adapt. And as a presenter, I, I'd gone from records and cassette, uh, not cassettes, cartridges and tapes, actual physical tapes that you had to wind up a tape machine and, and play in. And then it's all on a computer these days. I mean, I've got to say, if I was a, a radio presenter starting out now, wow, it's dead simple. I hate to say it, uh, but it is because, you know, it's all on a computer, simple as that, really. But in those days, there were a lot to put up with, and the landscape has changed immeasurably. The sound quality is much better, of course, than it used to be. So things improve. You have to adapt as you go through. Well, I, I tell you what. I mean, it, it kind of links quite nicely into um, my sort of next question for for me, really, Vic, because you you very much have adapted, and you've obviously you, you've gone from your radio roots to you know fully embracing the particularly the sort of you know the more social channels that um, that are available. Where, as I've said, users are. They're not just, you know, uh, they're not just consumers. They are obviously curators and creators of content themselves. Um, one of the, um, I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about um, your endeavours with the Official Supporters Club, Vic. Obviously, a long-standing supporter of the Official Supporters Club. And um, thank you for the efforts that you put in on, a, on in relation to the Monday night panel, because 
I think one of the one of the interviews over the last twelve months that literally had me riveted to my sofa was your um, uh, your uh, approach to the farewell of Richie Wellens. Um, now that was a very very interesting interview um, on a number of fronts. I'd I'd sp since spoken to Richie um, sort of afterwards, and he kind of questioned his. His, his wisdom for for doing that and you know he was just trying to please everybody and such like but that that for you must have been i mean did you did you feel that um because it was quite funny it, it i i noticed uh, quite a lot through your facial expressions and your tone in response to some of his questions you weren't you weren't putting up with any old toffee mate to put it politely you <laughs> You um you absolutely pinned him in the way that we would have wanted him to be pinned. There was no there was no holding. The, I don't believe he held back at all, uh, and you did hold him to account um, on quite a few of the points that he made. But was that was it an enjoyable interview for you, to you for you there, Vic? Or did you was it a, was it you know because you could argue politically charged interview? How how did you feel that? Um, how did you feel the responsibility to get that interview right? Not that you wouldn't feel that in any interview, but that one in particular. Yeah, you, you're talking to somebody who loves interviewing politicians. And, you know, if I was around at the moment on the radio, boy, would I be enjoying life. At the... <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how much I'd love it. Um, no, I. The, the fact is that Richie approached the, us and said, look, I'd like to do this and um which i was a bit surprised about but we you know we built up quite a good relationship with it in fact he he did the very first one that we did it was a quiz and we the only reason we started doing this was we we started doing it because of lockdown and we thought you know this is the way to do it we've got to keep fans connected it's a miserable time nothing's going on we're all locked up in our house and thankfully it's now grown to what it's grown as now and it continues to go on uh, but he, he approached us and I said to him beforehand, there was a little few minutes before, I said, look, Richie, I'm going to have to go at you. You know, it's as simple as that, really. I'm not going to, you know, I can't sit here and go, oh, Richie, we're really sorry to see you go and all that kind of thing. And he said, yeah, that's fine. That's fair enough. So in a way, you kind of, you, you make the ground before you start the interview, because I think he realised I was going to be straight with him and I hoped he was going to be straight with me because I thought he was a decent chap. And, you know, we all know about his connection with the football club and the community and how he built that relationship, which is one of the saddest things when he left, because we loved it. And But no, I think the thing is, once you're doing an interview, you kind of lose, you have to lose that kind of sparkle in your eye. You know, I'm still in awe of footballers now. I mean, Monday night when I did Maze Rowland, um, Jimmy Allen and Kenny Stroud, you should have seen us like a kid in, in sweet shop. But, but, you know, the thing is, you have to you have to detach yourself and you have to ask the questions that people want answered. And that's how I approached it. And he was good enough to answer them. There were one or two, which I, looking back on, he, he said about uh, he wanted to move to Salford because he'd be near to his family. And the next day on Greater Manchester Radio, he said he, did, he, he didn't have nothing to do with his family. He'd seen enough of those in lockdown. So that made me feel a bit, well, hang on a minute. What What is the real truth here? But, you know, I have a great deal of respect for Richie Wellens, and I, and I still think he'll make a decent manager uh, wherever it might be. I see he's been linked with Bradford City. Um, 
but I, you know, I had a great deal of time for him, and he and he was very helpful with us on those panels. He really was, and if ever we wanted anybody to be available, he would make sure they were. So I got nothing but good to say about Richie Wellens, and I know there's a bit of taste in the mouth of Swindon fans the way he left, but uh, you know, people move on, don't they? But that's my approach. Once you're in a twin interview, you detach yourself, and you have to ask those questions. Whether you feel comfortable or not asking them or not, that's another matter, but that's your job. Yeah, well, I, I think, I, I guess, Vic, the, the, without meaning to blow sort of too much sunshine up your up your backside, I think the, the thing that really, impre- um, what I found so riveting and what it did impress me about that interview was that it, it is, it, you know, the reality is sometimes it can be very difficult um, when you are interviewing people subject to, obviously, the whatever the political agenda is for the organisation you're involved with. Um when I when I was with um, 442 for the length of time, I mean, I was there for the best part of 20 years. Had a lot of um, very difficult conversations with um, with PRs that were representing major, you know, major footballers. Um, and there could be anything that could, you know, interfere with or shape that interview. They they could, they, you know, certain areas that you just can't talk to them about because of this, that, and the other. The other difficult part of my role was. As, as somebody that is responsible for making the tilt ring, um, they could exert certain sort of pressures on you from that respect. So every organisation has its own has its own pressure. But I think the, the, the thing that sort of holds you in such high regard amongst the Swindon Town base, Vic, is that you, I think we generally feel, and I'm sure um, Tyler would have a view on this, but we generally feel that you, you, we can absolutely, when, you, when we hear your voice, we can. We're trusting you. We we implicitly trust that you are going to ask the right questions. That you will you will speak in the way that you will you will pin people in the way that we would expect them to be pinned. So um, hats off to you, Vic. Like I said, that was. I mean, truly, it was unusual. It was fascinating. It was riveting. I mean, we could probably sort of you know take all night sort of talking about that interview in particular. But in the interest of time, um, we'll, we'll move things along. So you're. Vic, I don't want to go over too much old ground. I mean, you, you, you did a fantastic piece with Rich um, and the guys with Low Strangers where you really sort of drilled into your background. But for, for those that aren't necessarily familiar, let's just put a little bit of framework around the next part of the conversation. Do you do you remember the year, Vic, of your, and do you remember your first game at the county ground or away from home? Which was it? Were you home or away for your first game? My first game at the county ground, I said this to Kenny Stroud on Monday, and I thought he's going to remember this game implicitly. It was a North Schools versus South Schools trial match in which Kenny played and indeed scored. So I said that to him, and he said, I don't remember anything about it, which I was kind of like, you know, flattened straight away. But that was my first introduction to the county ground. I followed the town, of course, but we lived at Castle Eaton or Water Eaton, a bit remote. So you know, for a young six, seven-year-old to get into Swindon. That was a little bit difficult on a Saturday afternoon. And then I suddenly discovered there was a bus that went from Castle Eaton into Swindon every Saturday lunchtime. And so I thought, great. And it came back about half past five. So perfection, really. And the first home game was against Walsall, February 1968. Swindon Town 3, Walsall Hill, Rogers, Penman and Nurse, the goal scorers for Swindon. Um, So that was it, really. And uh, like Tyler... Uh, you're sucked in, aren't you? And all you want to do now is watch Swindon Town play every week. And it's just, you go back to that those days and you're still the wide-eyed seven, eight-year-old that you were when you first went to see them. Although I was slightly older than that when I got on the bus back 12 or 13. But, you know, that when I see a footballer even now, I could be reduced to a gibbering wreck within five seconds. 
because they are <laughs> they are to me what I always wanted to be, and they have a special yeah. they have a special aura about them. Not all of them are brilliant, obviously, but they do have a special aura about them, and that's why you have to kind of when you do interview people, you have to ask the tough questions so you detach yourself from that um, sort of sparkle in your eye. You have to become the hard-nosed journalist and not the football fan. And, and as Clive yeah. King once said to me, and I, this is the, the statement I will take with me all the way through my life, once your hobby becomes your job, it's very, very different. And that's very, very true. Uh, listen, I, I will tell you firsthand, my, um, one of my... Whilst 442 was an absolute sort of, it was an absolute pleasure and a treat. And, and I, I, I mean, again, I mean, I, I, when I, when Rich very kindly invited me onto, um, you know, onto his podcast to be interviewed, I mean, the outtakes went on for, a, you know, an hour. Um, when the, you know, I think the hour and a half of the first show was, the, first, the, the sort of main bulk of the show was, and, it, and again, a myriad stories that I could share. Um, but my biggest regret of having worked in football is when you see the kind of warts and all side of it. You know, when you're when the rose tinted sort mm -hmm. of spectacles that you wear as a supporter are taken off, um, and sometimes you know you you are privy to conversations or you are you see things in and around the game that you know you kind of wish you hadn't seen. It's it's an honour, and a lot of those conversations you 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 know you know you've got to take to the grave. But nonetheless. Um, it does sort of taint your your enjoyment of the game, and um, I wouldn't go so far as to say my my involvement as as a sponsor of Swindon Town tainted my enjoyment of um, of you know of turning up on Saturdays, but it shifted the dynamic tremendously for me. Um, I I was I mean frequently just in terms of like real real basic things, but I mean being being up in the you know in the sponsors lounge everyone would say oh that must be absolutely fantastic but when you've been when you've been sort of born and raised sort of you know as you can tell from my voice i very much like getting stuck in you know to the you know the vocals of the town end so to, to switch up to a slightly different more corporate way of following football for the best part of five six years um that that in itself sort of detracted somewhat from from the game and and what's interesting is my son himself has has got more connected with the club since the sponsorship finished. I mean, he was with me pretty much every Saturday. But again, I mean, but Vic, this is all I'm waffling about me. This is the again that really I wanted to sort of you know sort of drill into you really. I mean, your so your first game was '68, so clearly you you have seen you have seen some managerial greatness. Do you do you have any? Um, sort of recollections or any nuggets of, of wonder in relation to a certain Mr. Danny Williams around that sort of era, the 68, 69 sort of period. Um, do you have any kind of lasting memories that you treasure? Well, uh, the obvious one is is a certain game in North London in 1969 in March the 15th. And it's still a game I watch every March the 15th. It's my little tradition. And, uh, you know, that side that went on to get European Cups, you know, not the European Cup, but beat the likes of Juventus and Sampdoria and, you know, people like that, Napoli, away at Napoli uh, and away at Juventus. You know, you can't get a lot better than that. And Danny Wilson was a great manager. He was a straight-talking Yorkshireman uh, who just had a great deal of respect with his players. And, you know, he talked to the likes of John Trollope these days, and I can't even believe sometimes I'm talking to John Trollope. You know, you just think... How am I doing yeah. this? Uh, but, I, you know, you just, 
they obviously had the greatest respect for Danny Williams and that side was immense. So that those are my great memories of Swindon Town early on and being at Wembley that day is something I will never, ever, ever forget. I'm, I mean, being stuck in the car park for hours afterwards and before the M4 was completed, the journey back wasn't great, but the game itself was magnificent. Mm. And and that, that those two Rogers goals with he shifted his balance with the first one and then rounded Bob Wilson for the second and slotted it into the corner... And that is that, as Brian Moore said on the commentary, just magnificent. <laughs> and you will never forget it. It's just like, you know, I always think that Bob Wilson actually went shopping in North London when he went round him because he took him so far the wrong way. It was just magnificent. And, well, you know, you're you're starting off from a base like that. I mean, <laughs> you know, well, tell me about I it. Mean, well, look, I mean, my, my, okay, so I'm, I'm going to kind of give you my sort of frame of reference on and, and pose you a question which that doesn't typically get get asked a lot which is the era that then followed on sort of the best part of 15 16 odd years so for me having grown up with Lou Macari, Ozzy Ardiles, Glenn Hoddle, John Gorman and then the first part let's say of the Steve McMahon era um relatively I mean certainly on reflection even when we were getting sort of you know gubbed in the Premier League and suffering relegation and then subsequent relegation we still bounce back by by winning the old Division Three um, and and getting ourselves back into what is now the Championship. Now, I um, I, I reflect on the period that we I, I hope we're starting to emerge from now as almost being the equivalent of what you must have gone through in sort of you know post '69, post Anglo-Italian Cup era. I mean, for you that for someone that I mean, like you know, for you at Wembley in '69, see me at Wembley in '89, '93. And then watching that that ever so slow decline thereafter, what what was that like? Watching that wonderful side of '69 essentially sort of you know get to a point where they all drifted away from the club, and obviously then the club fell on pretty hard times just prior to the Macari era. What what was what was that like? Because that must have been heartbreaking for you. Yeah, it was pretty rough. I mean, there was no money. Uh, the crowds were down to two thousand. You know, and. The fourth division, of course, occurred, and it and it just was pretty grim, to be honest. And you'd seen that magnificent side break up, and Stan Harlan went off to Birmingham, and you know things started to to fall to pieces. And and Don Rogers, I I can't say too much about Don Rogers because he was a player who he glided. He never ran; he just glided. And if he was on today's pitches, nobody would get anywhere near him. And, he was just magnificent. Joe Butler in midfield, for instance, you know, Rod Thomas, John Trollope, fullbacks, Frank Burrows. Oh, you just go on and on and on. And then to see those players get older and older. Peter Noble, of course, went off to have a great career with Burnley in the first division. And then, it, you, you know, you're, you're back down to the fourth division and the club's on its uppers, really. And then Lowndes Lambert come in and, and put this sponsorship deal on, uh, which eventually leads to Lou Macari taking over. And... That first season wasn't great under Lou. I mean, it was, you know, it was a struggle. There was the Good Friday sacking and the reinstatement three days later. The, mm-hmm. I mean, I, anybody's religious, I don't mean with any disrespect, but the Easter resurrection. Um, and then yep. the rest is history, as it were. Um, you know, incredible, really. And that Lou Macari era, well, was one just extraordinary. I, I, it, uh, but of course, as we all know, and I know because I covered all that with great uh, in great depth. There were problems which eventually led to the club losing its much earned first division status. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, Vic, so it, it, you go from being kind of like a, you know, super fan, you know, somebody that's enjoyed, you know, the 69 era mm-hmm. and all those wonderful players that you've mentioned into, so if I've done my homework correctly, Vic, you've, you've very much got the mic and the headphones on around sort of 84. Have I got that right or was it before then? Uh, I'm just trying to think. In actually. relation to Swindon, that is. Yeah, 84. Yeah, probably a bit before that with Hospital Radio and then um, I sort yep. of applied to GWR or Wiltshire Radio as it was in those days I just wrote a letter in say would they be interested in having you know can I come and have a look around and all that kind of thing so 84 85 that's right that was my first season covering them on a professional radio station Lou Macari's first game was my first game Wrexham at home 2-1 win yeah that's absolutely and right. as you said you we and we've got the lounge. So now we've got the lounge Lambert money on the condition, of course, that we appoint a high profile manager in Lou Macari, which we yep. indeed did. Um, so you've gone from hospital radio to now being, you know, our man with the mic um, at Swindon Town. How, what, what was, I mean, you must have, you talked about being a kiddie in a sweet shop. You now stood face to face with, you know, arguably one of Celtic's greatest ever players as manager of your football club. What, um, how did you avoid? The starry-eyed moment that you said to me, you, it's so important that you 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 don't bring to the table. Like, I mean, because that must have been very hard. Well, I remember my first interview with Lou McCorry and Harry Gregg. I, I did for Hospital Radio, and I sat outside the county ground, outside the Arkle stand, with my cassette player because it was that's all I had in those days, and a and a rusty old microphone, which if you blew into it, sort of blew the speaker up. But I went in, and uh, you know. I was immediately put at ease by Lou Macari. It was just that simple. And I can't say throughout all the time I dealt with him, he didn't treat me with anything but total respect and, and something I really appreciated. And there were times you had to ask Lou honest questions, but he would be honest anyway. You know, he would come up with the honest answers. So to a certain extent, he did your job for you. But yeah, he was very good. He, he was media savvy. He'd been with Celtic. He'd been with Man United. He knew the ropes, you know. And... Um, that day that he got the sacking, Good Friday, on the following Saturday, some might remember, we played at home and Lou came to the game and I'd been covering the match, walked out and he, he was there in his car and he sort of beckoned to me to get into the back of the car and do an interview with him. And <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing and it was a real bombshell of an interview, but I can say it now because it doesn't really matter, but he then phoned up to say, I'd gone to Speedway, and this was in the, the days before mobile phones, remember. Um, I'd gone off to Speedway on a Saturday evening, got a call at home. My wife has to come from home, drive up to the Abbey Stadium and tell me to phone Lou Macari. And so I phoned Lou and he said, look, can we possibly hold off on that interview? Because there's a chance I might get my job back. Uh, which, of course, he did. And so therefore you know the relationship was was heightened a little bit more by that i guess so yeah i can't you know in terms of dealing with lou i can't really praise him highly enough he he, he always treated you with respect and you know that's a, that's all you can ask for really and he's he's obviously then swiftly turned things around and then we're we're back on the up now enter enter uh, a certain um 10 11 year old mr hanrahan um back then um, very much enjoyed my first game away in the FA Cup. Uh, Fulham, 1-0 win, Dave Bamber header, um, which then followed on to the Leeds game, um, which we were beaten 2-1, if my, if my memory isn't fading. Um, but um, 
So we've, we've gone into that era. I mean, were you, could you tell almost immediately, because we talked a lot in the early part of, of this show, Vic, about what we're seeing at the moment with the likes of Josh Davison turning up, um, the likes of Louis Barry turning up. Did you, could you back then, you reflect on the likes of Jimmy Quinn, you know, these kind of guys, you know, they're, you know, even if, I mean, we skip on a little bit and we start talking about the Tim Parkins of this world being brought in and the Chalky Whites. Could you, did you, was there this sort of sense that there was something in the air happening here that, because obviously we've gone on and stormed Division 4 back then, record number of goals scored, etc. Was, was it was it something that Lou just dramatically changed or was it something that you felt was a bit more gradual? Well, it, it was interesting because that, that record season, if you remember, you look back, we didn't start that well and we played Talk United at home on a Friday night. If we'd lost that, we'd have gone bottom. So we won 2-1. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we, we played at Sunderland in a milk cup tie on a, on the Tuesday. And Lou kept them up there at, a, at an army camp. And we played at Hartlepool on Saturday. And that was the moment. We'd lost, I think, narrowly at Sunderland. But that was the moment where it suddenly turned round. And he, and he got a team around him that he knew would run and run and run. And things started to happen. And then they did literally just steamroll the teams. And I remember being at Rochdale in February of that year. And they were a goal down with about 10 minutes left. But their fitness was so extreme that in that last 10 minutes, they just steamrolled the teams and they won the game 2-1. And it was that sort of result which made you think, hmm, things are happening. I remember it was Chester away in October when we won 1-0. Colin Gordon got the goal. And that was the moment I thought, yeah, things are happening here. Things are starting to kick on. And boy, did they. I mean, that season was immense. And Dave Bamborough getting those, you know, on that promotion night against Chester, 4-2. And then Mansfield away, one each, of course, which clinched the title. And the following season, it just went on and on and on. And it was a magical time. And I, I know you're yeah, going to talk I mean, about that Gillingham game eventually. I mean, as I said, Vic, I won't, I won't bang on about you know those those wonderful tapes I I used to cherish, but nonetheless, obviously, you, I've I've sort of pitched in when I started following the club, so you'll that give you a bit of a frame of reference. Now, mm. those I will never, um, I mean, listening to listening back to the old Division Three promotional season through the playoffs with Lou Macari saying these things should be scrapped, they're an absolute abomination, you know, etc. And we all know what what the playoffs have. Have, have turned into now and what they've become and they're, they're you know love them or hate them they're, they're certainly not um you know they're never short of 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 drama but um there's so much of what you've touched on so far tonight vic but that is captured in those tapes and the the raw emotion of you on the pitch um as i mean talk me through it Vic. what must have been going through your mind because you've you've talked about I mean, I've, I've, you've talked about the extremes of, you know, being, you know, pinning, you know, Richie Wellens. You've talked about, you know, interviewing politicians and and such like. But put 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 us in the shoes of a a professional broadcaster, died in the Wolfswind and Town fan. You're now on the pitch at Sellers Park. Mm -hmm. and they've got promotion again, and all around you, there the champagne's flying. You know, I mean, the players obviously gave you some fantastic content. But, um, yeah, just, I mean, talk me through the emotions of that night a bit, because obviously we all know what happened in the game. For those that aren't aware, obviously Town, Town won 2-0, Steve White scored two goals, but it came off the back of very, very dramatic 
Charlie Henry equaliser at the county ground a week prior. Um, and then obviously we've got the big set piece at neutral, on neutral territory, Sellers Park of all places, because the players haven't quite reached the, uh, the, the lofty peak of, uh, as they do now at Wembley. But so, yeah, I mean, Vic, to sort of walk me through it, what must that have been like? Uh, well, I've, when I said before, you could take your, you know, you, you detach yourself from being a fan uh, and you become a professional broadcaster when you ask the tough questions. Those are the occasions when you just go oh, to heck with it. You know, promotion's been achieved. Everybody's in a great mood. <laughs> I'm in a great mood. So why shouldn't we just, you know? Uh, and the thing is, when you've won a playoff final 2 um, 0, Chalky's got both goals. You're up to the second division then. W what hard questions are there to ask? <laughs> I mean, you just you yeah, just for sure. The moment, well, look, Vic, in, in, in fact, I'm going to take you back a step because the one key sort of element of this that I'm missing, please indulge me. But I've got two favourite pieces of Swindon Town commentary over the years. I hope Andrew's still listening because one of them is his Owen Doyle scores as grass is green as night follows day, which was just absolutely wonderful. But my my favourite piece of Swindon Town commentary was um, your um, commentary over Charlie Henry's rocket um, <laughs> for that very, very, very late equaliser. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I won't get you to repeat your exact words, Vic, but, to, I mean, you're, you literally, again, we talked about your steely eye professionalism, but, yeah, a, a little bit of the fan came out, shall we say, Vic, didn't it, that night? <laughs> uh, that was, I lost it. I, I, I will say I lost it. And, you know, I'd make no apologies for it because I just thought that was the moment. I mean, somebody once said to me that they were driving along and nearly drove into a ditch because of that, that yeah. moment. <laughs> And you kind of think, well, that's fair enough. You know, I, I, I obviously don't want you to crash your car, but it was such an important moment in the history of the club. But, I, yeah, I lost it. And why wouldn't you, if you're going to say, what a, what a player, Charlie Henry. I mean, extraordinary, you know, uh, to have the season that he did and to go on as well. I, I just, yeah, there are moments when, you know, I remember the Charlie Henry bobble at Wembley. We, you know, oh, gosh, we don't we all, but... You know, those are the sort of moments where your heart sinks through your boots and goes through the floor. Uh, you, but that moment, you just let it all rip. And uh, and why wouldn't you? Because the, the place went bonkers, didn't it? Let's be honest. And <laughs> and it led to that incredible third game at Selhurst Park on that balmy Friday evening. So, yeah, it's, again, it's, it's I'm not sorry. <laughs> Do you, um, I mean, have you, uh, have you been able to sort of keep in contact with many of that many of that squad bit because obviously you would have you would have shared quite a quite a fair bit of time with them across the season are, are there any of those um those guys i mean i there was a period of time where i remember seeing lee barnard around the club um sort of long 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 after he left that he was he was always still very smiley and you know you could see he was like he, he knew that he was still being recognized but yeah does, does anybody else sort of you know have you managed to keep in touch with any of them vic do do, do you have have you managed to keep any relationships intact no, sadly not. But I mean, I always got the feeling that if I'd, I mean, you know, the, the likes of Duncan Shearer we did on the, on the uh, Monday night thing, um, and it was lovely. We had a little exchange of emails and, re, you know, revisited some memories. And, you know, uh, Fraser DeVille, I know you know Fraser very well. Every time I see him, there's always a, a nice little chat between us. Uh, you know, there were one or two players that got really close to John Trollope, who, you know, I see him often on a Saturday afternoon and he was very involved with Lou, of course. Um, so always have a little chat with John. Um, but the players all sort of drifted away, didn't they? So not really. But I always get the feeling that if you met up with them again, you could have a real good chat with them. And 
everything would be great. Like Jimmy Allen on Monday, you know, I've known him for donkey's years and, you know, um, so it's so lovely to share a car journey with somebody like Jimmy Allen because you can have a conversation. Well, I think we touched on everything. We touched on politics, football, foot and mouth. We touched on everything on the way there and on the way back. So, <laughs> you know, well, it's you just a, um, your your um, your Monday night panel, Vic, with with Jimmy Quinn was was an absolute delight. And I mean, the the chemistry that you you that you share with him back there, and the I mean, trust is a huge thing, isn't it, when you're interviewing somebody and. I mean, there were a couple of very emotional moments. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. When you know, when he was, um, you know, when when Jim, you know, Jimmy was re reduced to tears. You know, this this sort of, you know, big sort of, mm. sort of, you know, super tough Ulsterman that would run through brick walls. You know, to, you know, to open up to you in the way that he had. I think is is obviously testament to a lot of the work that you did. You know, with him and around. You know, back in the 80s, I'll, I'll be I'll be certain of that. Well, he um, did. The, he, did he was my co-commentator on that night at Gillingham. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I, Jimmy was great. And uh, what was good about that in interview was talking to him about his early life in Belfast. Because, you know, whoever talked about that, but it just coincides, of course, with that Kenneth Branagh film about Belfast. So getting his sort of perspective on early days at the time of the Troubles was really, really interesting. Yeah, it really was, wasn't it? About, you know, like, sort of like essentially the family having to retreat, you know, mm, from their roots. Definitely. To, you know, yeah. complete. Because he's he's got as an as a as a you know I've I have a um, a large contingent of the Hanrahan family live north of the border and I'm all too well aware of you know the troubles and the way that that's affected people's lives and dur just during the period that I've I've been on this on this planet um, and I I was always for somebody that's held in such high regard by people in Northern Ireland I've always found his accent rather sort of um, sort of slightly unusual. Um, you know, it's 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 not what you what you necessarily expect, but you know, a, a very well travelled individual. Move, so moving forward a little bit then, from 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 Gillingham, big. I mean, we're not listen. I, I, I we've already we we talked about enough bad news, and I don't want to end up revisiting too much about the night where it all came sort of crashing down after the Aussie Ardiles era. But um, do you do you have any do you, do you have any kind of um, favourite memories from, from Aussie's time taking over from Lou because for me personally I, I never forget every time I stood in a in, in a in a stand at the counter ground I always felt that by the end of the game I was about six inches taller because I was walking on so much paper um, and because the ticker tape receptions mm. really were something weren't they but do you do you have any um, any apart from the obvious Wembley Wembley match which was utterly amazing for me my first Wembley appearance as a Swindon fan what, what were your sort of standout memories of Aussie's era? Well, first and foremost, was the day he got appointed because I'd watched him in 1978 and the World Cup in Argentina on this grainy old television, you know. Uh, uh, and you just remember what a wonderful footballer he was. I mean, he, you know, he was the archetypal midfield player who barely moved out of the centre circle. They detected every minute of the game, you know, wonderful, wonderful player. And then he suddenly ships up as Swindon as the player manager and you think, hey, uh, what's going on here? And, uh, you know, for moment one, he was always a perfect gentleman. And, um, you know, he always used to say, big, big, you know, in that kind of Argentina. <laughs> and it, it was great. And, you know, I just, uh, you know, you have to pinch yourself to say I'm talking to Aussie Ardiles. Later on, when I moved to Devon, I used to regularly interview Peter Shilton, Alan Ball and Justin Fashion, who, you know, they were at uh, Plymouth, Exeter and Torquay, respectively. And you just think... Hang on a minute. You know these are these are legends, not not just average footballers. These are totally, 
wonderful footballers and Aussie was great. I mean, he'd always do an interview every Friday. He's taken the mickey out of himself a bit because of his English pronunciation. Uh, but he, well, what he, he just changed the style completely into samba soccer, didn't he? And it was wonderful to watch. I mean, the passing was breathtaking and he didn't play many games, of course. He got injured. But, um, you know, what what an era. I mean, I was talking to Jimmy about this on Monday night and that side that won at Wembley would have stayed in the first division. Of that, I'm convinced. Um, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have won it or anything stupid like that, but they would have definitely stayed in the, the old first division. I'm quite convinced of that. Without a shadow of a doubt, there's not a Swindon fan on this planet that was alive and, and, and conscious of, of, you know, a Swindon town at that time that would disagree with you, Vic. Did you, um, so obviously as a, as a you know, you as, as our man on the as our man on the mic. If you reflect back on that era, did you sort of feel a, a distinct sort of cultural shift? I mean, in terms of how the players sort of behaved and their attitudes. To, because obviously, Lou was a. You mentioned the army camps and the fitness and such like, and mm. obviously, Aussie brought in the samba style. Was there a, a sort of cultural shift amongst the players or an attitudinal shift at that time? Did you feel? I think they felt they were more relaxed in terms of what they might do, but I don't think they were any less professional. And uh, I always remember going into the dressing room for one game, and there was a big bottle of Bell's whiskey, and uh, and lots of glasses. And I thought, I said, well, what goes on there? He says, oh, we always have a top before we go out and clear the airwaves. And I thought, <laughs> well, you wouldn't have seen that under Lou Macari, but you know, each each to his own, and both were incredibly successful with the way that that the way it happened and. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned Lee Barnard. Well, who would have thought he turned into the footballer he turned into? He, you know, they these were footballers who who suddenly started to play in a totally different way than the hard running, more direct style under Lou, which was incredibly effective. And I would never knock it for one day. But you know, the football under Ozzy was was a different style. It was much more aesthetic, and you enjoyed it. And um, look at what happened. You know. Um, just a tragedy, really, that that side couldn't go to the heights that they should have gone to. Well, no, but then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll come on to the, the, the next gentleman that took us up to the heights that we should have gone on to. So you by now, you're, you're kind of getting a little bit sort of spoiled, Vic, aren't you, really? You've already, <laughs> you've, already, you've already mentioned some of the lads that you went on to interview, but you've gone from, you know, one, arguably one of Celtic and Manchester United's greatest ever players to World Cup winner in Aussie Ardiles to now... Arguably, English England's greatest footballer of his generation, in in Glenn Hoddle being announced on that rainy day in Wiltshire under that curious red and white umbrella. What were, what were your? I mean, again, recollections really, Vic, from 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 that particular period, particularly like obviously him being announced. What's um what really sticks out? Again, how he dealt with us, the local media, because. In those days, at my job, and it was with the other two managers, my job was to ring them up at 9.30 every morning to find out if everything's go if anything's going on. It's changed slightly now where they have news conferences and things like that. But you, you did literally contact them every day, uh, sometimes more than once, two or three times, you know. And Glenn Hoddle was, was great. Uh, he'd always answer the phone. I used to go through the switchboard. And they uh, and they sort of ask who's calling, and I'd say it was, and they put him through and said, "All right, how are you?" You know, and you're thinking, "Oh, God, he's playing the hobble. Wow!" Um, <laughs> uh, but to see him play in a Swindon shirt was just well, I don't know. I mean, I I always remember one game at Ipswich. I think we won four one on a Tuesday. 
and he he had the ball at the foot of the post and most players are just you know rightly so stick it in Rose head and get rid of it but not glenn he takes it down controls it knocks it 60 yards and we score from a you know we score a goal i mean it was just you you looked at it and you thought how did he do that how did he do that and to have him as manager of a football club was was immense wasn't it i mean we all loved it didn't we what a player and what a manager it was great did you i mean as a um you mentioned he was fairly sort of he was he was fairly approachable was there yeah he was obviously great friends with Ozzy Ardiles, and it was Ozzy that obviously made the recommendation that that Glenn should get the job. Did you did you find the sort of transition from one from from one chap to another, given their kind of their Spurs history together and their obvious friendship? Did you was that were there any kind of teething troubles in that relationship, or was it utterly seamless? No, it's fine, and um, I think. I think what I think what they realised was that you want the best for the football club. They want the best for the football club. So it's a mutual, you know, it, it's a mutual benefit to, to sort of get on. But at the same time, recognise that those questions have to be asked at the time that they have to be asked. But, you know, Glenn Hoddle was fine. And he always used to make a point, which is something I was respected him for. The national boys used to turn up after games, of course, because it's Glenn Hoddle. Um and they'd sort of say, well, you know, how do you think Swindon are playing? And he always had turned around to, to me and Phil Duffel, who was the advertiser reporter at the time, and, and a couple of others, and say, well, you ask these boys how we're playing. They come every week. And I always, you know, I, I kind of always respected him for that because he, you know, he could have been Billy Big Time. I'm Glenn Hoddle, but he was, you know, miles away from that. It was, he was very good. So obviously he had his wingman in John Gorman as well. Yeah. Did, now clearly we all, we're aware with with Glenn departing in the way that he did. I mean, were you were you privy to any information that that was actually more likely to happen back then, Vic? Or were you? I mean, clearly the open top bus tour that some some of the atmosphere around the ground has has been described as um, less than cordial, shall we say, um, in certain corners. Um, were you how how certain were you if you sort of reverse back a little bit and go back to the the Wembley match? Were you already sort of forming a mindset that Glenn had, had made a decision back then, or um, was there anything any assumptions you were working on back then that this was all going to come to a, a rather dramatic close? Ninety nine percent certain he was going to go. I, I, I don't think there was any doubt that he was going to stay. Uh, he was going to go uh, personally. Um, you know, Ray Hartman, who was the chairman at the time, a really nice man, a really great deal of respect for Ray. Um, I think they worked really hard to keep him. But, you know, with Ken Bates being at Wembley <laughs> that day was kind of a clue as to what was going on. So it was no surprise, really, that he went to Chelsea um, and had a great deal of success there, to be fair. But, um, no, and then John Gorman was given this, I wouldn't say poison chalice, because managing a team in the Premier League is never a poison chalice, is it? But... You know, it was hard, wasn't it? Let's be fair. Um, and they were always on a bit of a, I don't know, it was an up, uphill struggle, really, right from the off, wasn't it? And, yeah. yeah. you know, they, they were sort of making do and mending all the way through that season, weren't they? And it never quite worked. And, you know, I was down in Devon by then, so I neatly sidestepped a, a season in the Premier League, which I always kind of one of my great regrets. But yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was there for the Man United game and, and all that kind of thing. But yeah, it was a struggle, and you know, to see them get trounced week in week out, it's not much fun, is it? No, no, it really wasn't. And I mean, then obviously we 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 sort of then switch back into this 
you you just mentioned yourself here. You've now got your, your your kind of you know your your BBC Radio Devon hat on and your Swindon hat your Swindon Town hat on as well from a fan's perspective. So we I mean we talked about the the sort of McMahon era. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you've got a theory. Uh, my theory, uh, Vic, I, I often, I'm sure you hear me say about, I sometimes get very frustrated with this Winning Town fan base. It's very, it can be very, very hair-triggering. It's very difficult sometimes for even myself to to not get kind of drawn into some of the negativity. I mean, I was I was talking very openly with, with Rob Angus last night about the fact that, you know, around the time of obviously Crawley and then heading off to the back of the Tranmere game, I said even I was having really serious doubts that, hang on a second here, you know, is 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 there something fundamentally wrong with how we're playing football? But for me, I actually felt that the Steve McMahon era was when a lot of the, the kind of damage was done in terms of dividing the fan base because he delivered enormous success. He had this reputation of being the, the you know, the a typical sort of Swindon favoured tracksuit manager. He kind of fitted the mould of the Macari, the Ardiles, the Hoddle, you know, the high profile player that's come down from a huge club. You know, he's got international caps. There's nothing this guy hasn't won. Um and then obviously we we started to experience real financial issues at the club. Um and it's ended up Ended, I mean, it was, it was, it was bloody. Let's just call it what it is, Vic. It was a very, very ugly end for McMahon, wasn't it? Mm, very ugly. And uh, I was there that day. It was Watford, wasn't it? Four-one. Yeah. I think uh, when the pitch invasion took place, and yeah, it was a very angry time. And um, I think I don't know really. It is very difficult because you know what we, you know what we football fans are like, and I'm the same as everybody else. You know, last night we're the best team in the world, but you know, Saturday if we lose two 0 at home, we're the worst team in the world. We you know, there's no consistency with us. We're, the, the only consistency is that we love our football club, but our emotions are up and down like nobody's business. So, yeah, I could. I mean, he won a championship, for goodness sake. He got us into the second division. But I think you're, you're right. I, I don't know. The atmosphere wasn't great, was it? I, I, you never went to a, to a game at the county ground and thought the atmosphere is, is OK. It was, I don't know, really. There was well, something I'm, about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got very vivid memories of, you know, pretty unsavoury scenes in the stands where you would have very pro-McMahon supporters and very anti-McMahon supporters. And in some cases, you know, I'm sad to say, you would see fisticuffs and things would boil over. And I think, um, I mean, clearly, it, you know, the memories of the downside of the 89-90 season, I think still was very fresh in a lot of people's minds. I think there was a... At that period of time, whilst it was wonderful to have experienced, um, I mean, Tyler and I, you know, talk about this. One of the things that I think makes our show quite nice is that I have that perspective. Tyler's, Tyler doesn't have that perspective, but certainly um, has a much more contemporary feel around Swindon Town in terms of his analysis and his insight and his knowledge of the club. Uh, I love that era, but at the same time, it seemed to overinflate people's expectations in a way that... They, they hadn't experienced what you experienced, Vic, in the 15 years or odd after the 69 final. So my, my ongoing theory is that, yeah, I think the scars, you know, the scars of 89, 90, were, were, it was very, very, very easy to reopen them at the tail end of the, of the Steve McMahon era. And I, I still think to an extent um, there, is a, a, there, there is this sort of lingering sort of sentiment that remains around our football club in relation to that. But then, you know, fast fast forward, we, we get to, um, I, I mean, we, we, we obviously had some interesting times under Luggy, but then we had, 
the everyone's favourite Italian pitch up or not everyone's favourite <laughs> Italian. But um, so what's um, I mean clearly Vic now very much fans fans hat on. Apart from the times where the, the town were away in Devon, and you you obviously had to split your loyalties clearly from a professional point of view. Um, what were your favourite Paolo Di Canio memories? I, I, well, I I did interview him a few times, and the thing is with Paolo Di Canio, you didn't interview him; just asked him one question, and then off he went. And uh, I mean, I think I think we all realised that financially it led to great problems for Swindon. There's no question about that, but. I don't know one Swindon fan alive who, for that two years, didn't love every single minute of it. I just, uh, it was bonkers, wasn't it? I mean, I, I, you know, the fact that, that we used to sit in the stand and sort of say, what minute will he hit the plexiglass on the on the dugout? You know, it was that yep. kind of, you know, it, it, and that moment at the end, which I mentioned earlier with Harry McCurdy at Carlisle, when he'd go and point upwards and to the other team point downwards, you know, we loved it, didn't we? It was a tradition, wasn't it? Where yep. he'd go out and he held the scar, have a laugh, and, and yeah, it was a magical season. That championship season was fantastic, and 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 again, I was lucky when uh, Rich had his Load Strangers live event when Simon Ferry and Paul Caddis were there, and I picked up Simon Ferris from, Ferry from the Bristol Airport and brought him up to Swindon, and we were sort of talking about that era, and and the players absolutely, well. Their careers were made in the back of that. Matt Ritchie would tell you that, you know, he turned into a much better footballer under Paolo Di Canio. And look what happened to him. You know, yeah. so yeah. It, it was a fantastic era. A, a very, yeah, as you say, double-edged double, double sword. And and it's interesting because there's so much of, of Paolo's reign that we look on with rose-tinted glasses. I mean, at the time, I was, I was you know, them very involved as a sponsor of the club and um you you are only too acutely aware of some of the you know the pressures that you know he's um you know he's certainly his activities in the transfer market brought onto um the football club and um it was it was a very um uh yeah combustible but <laughs> as, as you said it was quite obvious to us back then that you know he was he was utterly utterly revered by those players um and it, it, I'll tell you what was interesting as well was reflecting on 86, 87 and, and the kind of successive promotions that Lou Macari delivered. It, it Obviously, uh, it, it was just such an enormous shame that, that Paolo couldn't have seen the job through the season where he did decide to just call it quits because we were we were looking pretty tasty, weren't we? I mean, Tranmere away under Fabrizio, you know, still essentially playing Paolo's style and I mean, we we handsomely beat them up there. Um, I'm I, I don't know how you feel, Vic, but I mean, I was convinced again. If 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 he could have kept the band together just until the end of the season, we would surely have gone up that year. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I mean, obviously, the the Matt Ritchie sale to Bournemouth was you know that was the defining moment, wasn't it? And I remember being at Leighton Orient that Tuesday night, and you know, we all kind of knew that was the end. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a case of what might... I mean, gosh, if you were to say Swindon Town brackets, a case of what might have been, close brackets, that's the history of the football club, isn't it? I mean, that's it in a nutshell. It's <laughs> just sort of, you know, from 69 onwards, you know, we narrowly missed out promotion the following year to the first division. You know, in 89-90, we should have gone up and stayed up. You know, and the Paolo de Canio era, had it gone on, who knows where we'd be now. 
but it is. That's a case of, you know, nearly but not quite another one that you could put to Swindon. So we've, we've done a load of reflecting looking back, Vic, with your mountainous experience of the ups and downs of Swindon Town going way beyond my my period as a supporter uh, and taking into account the, the, the golden era of the late 60s. What's, what's your... You've spoken to pretty much all of the... Well, you have spoken to every single one of the key uh, protagonists in the in the in the current sort of developments of Swindon Town. Where, where's your where does your heart and your head sit in terms of what you think we can expect, Vic, over the next sort of two three years? My head sits very much in the the building phase. Um, I, I think they're sensible to sort of try to keep a, a lid on everybody's expectations because don't forget we're you know what seven months away from total oblivion, weren't we? Um, and we all remember that night at uh, 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 Supermarine when Clem Fooney turned up and the deal had been done and relief was everywhere. Um, yeah. I, I think they're genuine. I mean, I mean, you mentioned Rob Angus. He's an incredibly genuine town fan and uh, chief executive officer now and doing an incredible job there. Everybody behind the scenes is working very hard. Um, and, and I think there is a genuine hope that the club can build uh, Clem Mulfooning, why on earth somebody who lives in Australia would want to take on our club? I've no idea, but I, I fully believe he's totally genuine in his in his interest in our club and and his hopes for the future. Um, so I think, I, I you know I'm like anybody else. I want us to go up automatically and and being League One next season. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, and then we build a bit further. I think what what is desperately needed right now is a solid base where the club goes forward and never ever ever if we get out of league two get back there because i'm sick to death of league two i don't know about you i'm fed oh, yeah. up to the back oh, teeth yeah. of it and i don't want to see it anymore yep. <clears throat> i really don't yep. and I, I i believe under this regime there is a real chance that they might build a solid future for swindon town i'm not saying you know, I said to Clem Mulfooney, I don't want any of this nonsense about the Premier League in five years because we don't want any of that nonsense. All we want to know is there'll be a football club in five years. And I genuinely believe he will build a solid base and we can go forward wherever that may lead. All right, then, Vic. So here's the question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Three years from this very day, looking ahead, where are we going to be? Ooh, very good question. Um... I'd like to see us, <laughs> I don't know, a solidly established League One club. That, that's what I'd like to see in three years' time. Because the wage difference between League One and the Championship is so huge that you really do need to have had a, a solid time of building to get in any position to be able to compete in that league. So I'd love to see us in the Championship. Of course I would. But um, if we were really established in League One... I would be very, very happy with that. I would, you know, most of our career has been in the bottom two divisions. Let's be honest, with a rare yeah. foray into the top two. But yeah. we were always an established third division team, and I don't think anything wrong in that. If you can build on what we've got now and be a really established League One team in three years' time, I think most people would be pretty happy with that. So I'm going to look to bring Tyler back in at this stage of it because I think it's only right and proper that we put Tyler on the rack. Tyler, where are we going to be this day in three years' time in your mind? Uh, we are going to be pushing for playoffs in League One, mate. Oh, very nice. And will we be, do you believe that we will be a 
um, a stable, healthy football club in three years' time? Yeah, sure. All right, I'll take that. So I'm, yeah, I'm of the, I'm of the opinion, Vic, that I, I, I share your view. Um, and I think at the period that I, I clearly started supporting the club, we went through a period of being, um, you know, a, a club that had, had almost established itself in the second tier. Um, if we could achieve that in League One, um, yeah, I think I, I would be happy. But I, I think we are, our, our supporter base would demand that we're, we're up the top end and we are properly challenging. But if we're regulars in the playoffs and, and falling at that hurdle, um, then I think things could start to get very frustrating, as I think they would for any club, really. But it will be an interesting test because I think the we've already seen this season um, that people's memories are, are are very short. You know, the club's been the club's been saved. Like we're looking ahead, uh, and rightly so. Let's leave the past in the past. But um, I would I would hate I would hate to see us get back to being a healthy established League One club and and just see everyone lose their head again. As in, no, hang on a minute. We should be a healthy, established championship club because, like you, I think the 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 period that I enjoyed, um, the finances these days are stratospheric compared to what they were back then. Um, and I think we we do have to be realistic. I think unless we get hit by an absolute bolt of lightning in terms of investment, um, because I, I don't, um, I think it would be unfair um, to um, unless Mr. Morfuni uh, ends up winning the lottery or. Um, it, it expands the access business significantly further than he has. I think he's been very open about his finances. You know, he's he is not an oil baron. Um, so yeah, it's good job we don't I have think, a Russian oligarch at the moment. To be perfectly honest, isn't yeah. it? We could be in trouble. Yes. I mean, I, I think what what's um, what what should be said is the fact that maybe we've gone a bit further this season than people expected, and uh, maybe people at the club we've gone a bit further than they expected to be. Uh, their main priority, of course, was to stay up. But here we are pushing for promotion, which I think may be just a little bit further than people thought they would be. So we're running a bit before we were walking, if you see what I mean by that. Yeah, and I absolutely do. I absolutely do. And I mean, I've you know, I've I've just said, you know, at the start of the season, I said, look, anything beyond um, mid-table stability will be a bonus. So, and I, and even though I was kind of you know i mean i'm openly i'll hold my hands up i was really running out of patience because it's it's one thing being beaten in league two i, I take being beaten on the pitch that's fine but what i won't sort of swallow as somebody that invests a significant amount of finance finances and time and effort in supporting my club i won't sort of accept a lack of or perceived lack of effort um and I mean, Tranmere for me was was a step mm. too far down the line mm. of a kind of performance that I don't think is is acceptable, no, no matter which which direction you come from. But please, I mean, obviously the the reaction to that result has been exactly what we would want, and it was a it was a real it was a real delight last night to hear Ben Garner's name being sung because I think there was a recognition that that you know clearly he he, he has made changes. Those changes have, have borne spectacular fruit. Um, and I go back to my earlier cliche, Vic, and long may that continue. And likewise, Vic, long may your your support and um, and continued involvement in and around Swindon Town continue. Because you, like I said, you, I said right at the start of the show, you, you've been an absolute ever present on my journey. Um, you know, with Swindon Town, and, I, and I'm not alone in that. Um, 
I'm not going to throw any more gushing praise at you because I've already done too much of that. <laughs> apart from just a, just a, a, a sincere thank you for me. And unfortunately, my wife said you will never be invited around for dinner at the Hanrahan household because you have got a lot to answer for. She tells me to tell you. So um, yeah, she's she's of a Millwall persuasion fix. So I think oh, you're, well, probably well, best, you're, yeah. you're probably best staying away from you're, you're best staying away from her. But Vic, Vic, you've been incredibly generous with your time tonight. I, I thank you so much. Tyler and I have got a, a little bit of, um, of wrapping up to do at the end, which you're more than welcome to hang around for, should you so wish, in typical fashion. Um, but wow, Vic Morgan, ladies and gentlemen, what an absolute treat, Vic. Thank you so much. No, thank you. And and I, I really do appreciate the comments that you've made. And, you know, as I said before, I'm a fan who just goes along and watches the town and anything that I've had a, 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 with that has been an absolute bonus. And, you know, and we said before, Andrew has that microphone at the moment and long may he continue to do so because he does a fabulous job and he knows what an honor that is. You know, he, he knows what an honor it is to be able to do that. And, you know, it is, you know, you get involved with a football club, you see the ups, the downs, the not so nice, the nice, you know, they see the lot. And, but you make, you meet people and you, you're able to talk to those people whenever you go to the ground. And it's a lovely thing to be able to do. And at the end of the day, it's our football club. It's nobody else's, it's ours. So, you know, we want it to succeed. That's all we ever want. And if people can just stop being abusive to footballers, that would be really nice. That would be my best wish, please. I think you know what I mean. <laughs> just stop it. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Thank you, Vic. Thanks ever so much. Honestly, it's been a real pleasure. And I very much look forward to hopefully uh, getting a chance for a long overdue catch-up in the yeah. on Saturday, perhaps. Yeah, so I need a pint. I'll Thank keep, you. I'll, I'll keep, yes, no, well, that pint will be on me, 100%. Um, Tyler, what, what, what did you make of that? What a guy. Well, you two can enough talk for Britain, that's for sure. <laughs> well... Tyler, you've got all this to come, mate. You know, as someone with his own burgeoning media career, mate. You've yeah, you've you've got to learn to talk. And both of us have come. I guess we come in from very different sides. I I had to create very elaborate um, pictures for uh, people to try and sort sort of use to try and pry people's purses open back in the day. Um, Vic's uh, Vic's job was well, as he's just described to you tonight. So yeah, two very different. Two very different different disciplines, and um, yeah, I don't know what more to say. I'm I'm, I'm going to try and shut the chops. But um, Tyler, moving on, it won't it won't have um, it won't have gone beyond your uh, realms of recognition or that of anyone else connected with a football club. But we have some congratulations to say, do we not, to the wonderful Swindon Town Women's Football Club, um, who have bought the club's first dose of silverware to Wiltshire. Um, or, or kept it at the club, or, or sorry, got it to the club. Um, 11 2 winners in a cup final, Tyler. What did you make of that? Talk about dominant, huh? I mean, it's not as good as Walshaw because they conceded, but, you know, we'll take it. Swings and roundabouts. Yeah, it, there is a little bit of that, isn't there? Um, you know, I'd put it this way all I would say is I bet the opposition are just delighted it's not a two legged final. Um, because, <laughs> yeah, that could that. That'd be particularly interesting. But uh, yeah, congratulations to the ladies team. 11-2 winners against Warminster in the Wiltshire County Cup. It was lovely to see um, uh, big, big baby smiles and silverware 
on show and various pictures that were doing the rounds um, over the last couple of days. So uh, congratulations, ladies. Brilliant achievement. Um, now, Tyler, um, as, a, as a bona fide fan of, uh, of Mr. McCurdy, um, Dan Designs has, uh, has been working his magic with our, uh, our, our favourite ponytailed um, maverick. Um, Dan Designs, his printer, produced one of the most um, unpredictable pieces of artwork that's been doing the rounds on the social media where we have the county ground Rolex clock and printed over the top of it was a wonderful paint splattered image of Harry McCurdy. Um, generated quite a lot of interest and um, Dan has decided to raffle that print online. Um, go to um, Dan Designs Twitter feed, you will find a link on there should you choose to pay £3 for your raffle ticket. And all proceeds, ladies and gents, are going to the Swindon Town Football Club Community Foundation. So buy yourself a ticket for three quid. Uh, you're in with a chance to sign, uh, win that one-off print. Dan's not going to be repeating it. Um, Harry has signed it. And all the proceeds for all of those tickets are going straight to the Community Foundation. Um, uh, please be please be generous, guys. I think I, I believe you can buy more than one ticket, so fill your boots. Uh, certainly look great on your mantelpiece. Um, Tyler, have you have you got one of the McCurdy prints? Have you not? Uh, no, I don't think I do. I, I've just got the Man City one that he's on. Uh, right, so it's that image on that Man City print. I'm led to believe, is it not, that's on the um, that's on this uh, interesting print? That's uh, yeah, he's he's printed with a bit maverick, from what we all understand. Um, Guys, low, uh, low strangers uh, will have um, Pod coming out shortly that's going to be um, dissecting the Warsaw game if it's not out already. Uh, so do take yourself over to the um, over to wherever you download or listen to your podcast. Uh, make sure you have a listen to it. They'll go into a lot more detail uh, than, uh, than I've waffled or, or prevented Tyler from providing quality content on through my mindless waffle. Um, we also have on the 7th of April... Um, Phil King, I've been asked to host um, an event at the county ground. Uh, Phil uh, will be doing a live Q&A um, with supporters. I understand it's going to be in the Legends Lounge and tickets are on sale. Uh, it's £20 for a ticket with all proceeds going to the NSPCC. It's a fantastic charity. Um, the event's been um, uh, uh, being run by our uh, friends at Verilogic. Um, there are uh, flyers available for that event in the Legends Lounge. So if you're in there on Saturday, pick one up off the bar um, or um, have a look on social media. Um, if you have a look through my feed, you will see the poster. I will be posting it again in the next couple of days. And our final piece of news for the day is just nothing more, nothing less than a very sincere happy birthday to uh, arguably... And Jonah won't thank me for saying this. Arguably, the world's greatest kit man, Steve Hooper. Um, how old do you reckon he is, Tyler? Uh, no older than 22, mate. 20, you're going 22, mate. There's no chance. He's, he's got to be older than me, surely. I mean, look at the state of him. He's definitely older than me. <laughs> uh, I love the way you're remaining non-committal uh, non on mm. that, Tyler. You're, you're just currying favour there, aren't you? You're currying favour. No, but happy birthday, Steve. Um, couldn't think of a better way to round things off um, than saying happy birthday to yourself. Um, guys, that, that's us for the night, I really. Can't, um, Mark, you forgot one thing. Oh, what have I forgot? You forgot to congratulate Ellis for 100 games. Oh, of course I did. What am I thinking? Well, I'll leave that to you, Tyler, seeing as you enjoy a special relationship with Ellis. Oh, that, that is very true. I, I did have to <laughs> apologise to him yesterday. Um, 
But no, yeah, 100 games, not many hit, so congratulations to him. Yeah, not far off of uh, testimonial territory is RLS. And, I mean, we've, we've talked about him quite a lot, haven't we, over the last two, three weeks. You know, he's, um, I'm chuffed for Ellis because obviously he's had such a wretched time of injury. Um, and what he's bringing to the table at the moment um, on, the, on the left of a, a, a superb um, midfield three <clears throat> is nothing short of mind-blowing. So, um, yeah, keep it up, Ellis, lad. Um, 100, before, 100 appearances is not to be sniffed at. I mean, we talked about, earlier in the show, we talked about, um, you know, loyalty and players coming and going from clubs and such like. Um uh, you know, Ellis, his longevity at Swindon Town in the modern era is to absolutely be saluted. So, um, yeah, congrats. And um, Ellis, it would just remind you, mate, you're one goal away from Tyler getting his finger tattooed. So do me a favour, fella, pull your finger out on Saturday um, and let's get Tyler pulling his finger out down the, down the uh, tattoo artist because we are literally planning on frog marching him down there. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure he will. And it will look spectacular. And it won't be a Sharpie. <laughs> um, Tyler, have you, have you got anything else to add before we wrap up for the night? Not at all, mate. All right. Lovely job. Well, um, we've got a host of interesting guests lined up um, for shows moving forward. Uh, the likes of which we will start, um, uh, we'll start making some announcements probably from tomorrow. Uh, as to who we've got coming on the show. Um, there's a good chance we will be back on Sunday morning for a, uh, if my voice will hold up, for uh, the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge early morning fry up. Uh, subject how my voice is and how Tyler's head is. Um, but uh, without further ado, guys, we will sign off. Thank you ever so much for your ears. It's been a real pleasure. And thanks to Vic for coming on and giving us so much of his time. And Tyler, I will catch up with you um, at some point between now and the weekend. Take care.